This is Damon Albarn, and you're listening to Hallelujah Monkeys, the number one gorillas podcast in the world. Hello and welcome to Hallelujah Monkeys for January 15th, or maybe 16th, 2018. My name is Dylan Flynn. The episodes come out when they come out now that I'm directing and producing them. I'm Trevor Ickrath. Hi, Trevor. Hey, Dylan. What's up? Oh, man. Merry Christmas. Thank you so much. This is our Christmas special, isn't it? It is. We were going to do a whole little (laughs) mini Christmas episode. It was going to be great. We were going to intro with Don Quixote's Christmas Bonanza. There's there's plenty of very exciting Christmas things planned, but I intend to celebrate many Christmases with you, Trevor, on this show. Absolutely. Let's keep some of those surprises in the pocket for a future episode. But for this first one, we're just going to... I drew a name out of a hat of all of the co-hosts of this podcast to figure out which one I had to buy a gift for. Crazy thing is you got me. I got you. And I got you. And then I, I had a feeling that you might have. <laughs> Just like the Black Eyed Peas. Do you want to open up our gifts and see what we got each other? Yeah, do you hear crinkling? Can you hear the crinkling? I'm going to try to get as much crinkling on mic as I can so people know that that it's real. Tactile things are happening. Yeah, mine's, mine's not very crinkly, but it's very big. It's very. It's just this giant box that showed up at my door. I'm really excited about opening this thing. I have like one of these bubble wrappy, you know, large uh, plasticky bag type things. All right, so how do how do you want to do this? I don't know. Should we do an like an audio version of rock paper scissors to see who goes first? We could do that. What are you opening yours with? Um, my bare hands. I have um, a pair of utility shears, so I think I win. <laughs> oh yeah, I think that's true. So does that mean you go first? Right, so here I go. Okay, here we go. You're gonna have to give me a second. Okay, I'm I'm crossing my fingers that nothing broke. I'm very nervous, but I don't think it did. Oh my god! Peanuts <laughs> everywhere. All right, I've I've un- I've I've opened the box, but it's in bubble wrap. So I'm going to undo the bubble wrap now. Yeah, get that bad boy out. Get that bad boy out. UPS packed this, and I told them if it broke that I I I'd, I'd go postal. I heard they don't really appreciate those kind of jokes. My goodness. <laughs> so this looks like a framed piece of art of what I believe is Damon Auburn looking into a, a bedroom window. <laughs> In the bedroom is lead singer of U2 Bono uh-huh. putting on a pair of leather pants. <laughs> and Damon is, Damon is saying, I knew he'd do it. I commissioned this from our listener, Gwen. Hi, Gwen. How are you? This is really wonderful. Thank you so much. Gwen... Amazing work. Yeah, Gwen's the best. We love you, Gwen. That couldn't have turned out better. <laughs> Everybody needs some kind of piece of memorabilia that needs like a lot of explanation when company comes over, right? Yeah, for sure. That's the, the instant, like, how much time you got? Because I can explain what this means. Should we even explain what it means in case some people have not listened to the D-Sides episode of the show? In a I long think time? that's all the backstory we should give. Go back and listen to that episode. You'll figure out the origin. Okay, okay. I'm very excited. I want to open mine now. Can I do it? Go ahead. Yeah, okay, please. I'm I've been waiting. For, I've sent it to you like a month and a half ago. Yeah, I just got mine to Trevor. Trevor was a good boy, and he got his to me like ages ago. Very good boy. Okay, hang on. So this gift kind of is, it's kind of for you, but also kind of not for you. Okay, I'm very excited. I have no idea what, what I'm going to get here. And Oh, my God. <laughs> this is incredible. Okay. Thank you, Etsy. This is Etsy, of course. This is a clearly a handmade 2D stuffed animal. Uh, he's wearing his Swell Maps t-shirt. He's pretty big, too. He's very big. He's very big. And he's going to cuddle my daughter to sleep every night. Absolutely. I thought that would be a, a perfect <laughs> gift, you know? <laughs> this is so exciting. <laughs> oh, he's so good. I can't wait for you all to see him. You'll also post a picture of your picture, I'm sure. We'll, we'll put him up on Twitter. I thought the 2D doll was the perfect blend of, like, very cute and also kind of terrifying. It's also slightly terrifying. I don't know if my reaction is selling that, but there's definitely, like, you can imagine the, those characters from from uh, The Conjuring showing up and saying, like, there's something evil in this doll. Like, <laughs> Let's hope there isn't. 
Yeah, because it's going straight into my newborn daughter's bassinet as soon as we're done recording. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Trevor. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I love the gift. This is so good. This is so special. We'll do this every year. Halloween monkeys traditions. Um, you wanna you wanna do some news slash a brand new segment? Yeah, let's talk about the news slash do a brand new segment. It's all good news now. So we do have some gorillas news this week, Trevor. Right, but the well is slowly drying up. And we were we've been talking about this for a while. Like, what do we do when we're in this kind of interim phase? And we and obviously by all of the checks that are being cashed by the mouth of Jamie Hewlett and David Albarn, this could be a very short interim that we're we're getting into. We might have plenty of gorillas to talk about right around the corner. Right, because apparently Jamie's been, you know, Dropping heavy hints that we're getting a new album in 2018. And there's a lot of stuff going up on his Instagram. How exciting is that? If you're not following at Hewell, H-E-W-L-L on Instagram, you're doing it wrong. You're doing your Gorillaz fandom wrong. I'm not typically one to freak out whenever like a little snippet of new art gets posted. But right now it feels like, I don't know, it's all leading up to something. So we'll see. And it genuinely feels like a new style. To me. These aren't like additional human pieces that we're getting. No, yeah, definitely. The, a gear has been has shifted. Uh, but in any case, as as the well of news does slowly trickle down, we thought it'd be cool to like do something new. But but let's. Do you want to get the news out of the way first, or do you want to do the thing first? What do we do? Let's get the news out of the way first because there's not too much. Um, humans went gold in the UK. Congratulations, humans. I don't think it's the runaway success that you or I were hoping for, but it's definitely outperforming Plastic Beach, which is good. And uh, Gorillas were nominated for the Best British Group at the Brit Awards alongside London Grammar, Royal Blood, Wolf Alice, and the XX. And those awards will be on the uh, 21st of February. Uh, okay, okay. So then new segment time. We're going to do this every week. I'm very excited about this, Trevor, actually. Yeah, this will be fun. Uh, so we love to do discussion questions on this show. And we also love the people who listen to this show. And so why not marry those two concepts into one new segment? The listener discussion question segment. Right. The Hallelujah Monkeys mailbag. Yeah, there you go. That's a much better name for this. <laughs> and, and so hey. this, is, this shit is legit. So what you got to do is you got to get out a real ass telephone. <laughs> and you got to call 585-666-1233 in order to reach our hotline. Uh, it'll go straight to voicemail, and then you leave a discussion question for us to hash out on this uh, very program. Let me give you an example. Uh, uh, what is 2D's favorite color? Sure. Why not? Or, uh, or for example, uh, if you had to be stranded on a desert island with one Gorillaz album, which one would it be? Uh, these are all perfectly good examples. Uh, if you want to, also go ahead and leave your name and a location, like... Hi, it's Dave from Iowa, or whatever, so that we know who you are. Um, as it so happens, I, I sneak previewed this new segment on some of the Gorillas discords, and I already had one uh, one question from a listener. Should we play that? Cool, yeah, let's play it so everybody gets an idea of what, uh, of what these questions are going to sound like. Great. Hey, I'm Miles from Florida. What's the best Gorilla song to talk to? Thanks. Okay, well, <laughs> that's one way to start this segment, Trevor. Mm -hmm. um, I will say I don't appreciate this kind of language on this show. A little crass. I know we've got the whole running, is Damon singing about cum mystery going, but we do kind of try to keep it family friendly, don't we? Oh, oh, I don't, no, no, no. I just mean don't, don't, don't end your, your sentence with two. That's not good grammar. That's not good usage. It should be the best gorillas song. To which to fuck. Or by which. By which to fuck. That would be the right way to do it. That would be um, that'd be the lovage way to say it. Remember that Automator <laughs> album? Yeah, 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 yeah. Music to make love to your old lady by. This is a this is actually a good question, all all sort of conservative uh, uh, squirming aside. I think that this is a good question. Sure. You said that you had an answer immediately, Trevor, and I'm interested to hear what that is. Yeah, it's Glitter Freeze. Where's North from here? <laughs> oh my god. Where is North from here? That's the joke answer. But it's it is the real answer too. That's good. I could see I could see that coming on mid playlist and not interrupting the proceedings. Maybe there would be a moment of stirring when it's just the beeping and Marky Smith's voice. Uh, but then as soon as that driving beat kicks in, I think you're I think you're all set. What do you think about my answer, which is man research? This is a breakfast club. That um that sounds a little horrifying. 
I think it's I think it's good. I think it's 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 the right kind of dark. It's dark like a like mood lighting. I I, I get you. Just that Damon's you know prepubescent falsetto screeching at you the whole time. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know. Falsetto is definitely in in many a bedroom jam employed. That is true. That is true. Usually it's usually it's a little smoother though and less uh, shrieky. Perhaps. 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 Less heroin agony. <laughs> what would be the worst, though? What's the one you really don't want showing up on that playlist if you're on shuffle because uh, you, you didn't do enough planning? Hmm. Fire coming out of the monkey's head would be bad. I was thinking, I was definitely thinking, Hallelujah, buddy. <laughs> that one would be pretty bad, too. Sex murder party is not a bad answer, right? Yeah, you could totally make it work, right? Yeah. I, especially if Jamie Principal was in the room doing his hype thing live, right? I don't think they hear you. Thank you so much, Miles from Florida. This was a very fruitful first uh, first entry into the Howley Monkeys mailbag. Gross. <laughs> Do you want to get into the round table? Let's talk about the boys. Let's talk about the boys. Today we're talking about leisure or is it leisure should we be saying leisure i I always say leisure we say we say garage palace by that rule of transitive british uh pronunciation should we be saying leisure so we're finally talking about blur we're going to start off with their first debut studio album but before we get into that i kind of wanted to give the listeners and you because i know you're not the biggest blur guy just a quick rundown of these boys that we're going to be talking about. This is an important thing to do. I wanted to do something like this too, Trevor, because I think it's a, it, the wrong way to approach Blur is to think of it as Damon as a Damon Albarn project. Oh, absolutely. I agree, because he's frequently not the star member here, I don't think. No, and, and the process by which these songs are made is very it's a four person process. No, so let's go through it, alright? I'm gonna I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you each member of the band, alright? Okay. Alright, so putting in work on the drums, we've got Dave Roundtree, 27 years old, a computer science major who, after graduating school, forewent what would have surely been an equally rewarding programming career in order to join the band. Oldest member? Oldest member. Oldest member. After that, after that, we got Slap in the Bass, Alex James, he's 23. At any given moment, he's probably thinking about outer space, artisanal cheeses, or both. He's a cheesemaker. He's a cheesemaker. That's what he does now. He's also a politician, I think. Yeah, he like, had an unsuccessful district representative run or something like that. I don't remember. That's right, yeah. Tearing shit up on guitar is the inimitable Graham Coxon, 22. Still young, but full of a quiet, tender rage and fury far beyond his ears. He's also a painter and a visual artist. I think to the extent that these things can be objectively stated, which they can't really, but to the extent that they can, I would call Graham Coxon the second best guitarist of the 1990s. He is my second favorite guitarist of all time after Johnny Marr. Clearly, I have a thing for British rock. Uh, The only one I would put him ahead of in the canon of great 1990s guitarists would be uh, Johnny Greenwood. And at the heart of things, on lead vocals keyboards and pianos is another 22 year old who you know little did he know a quarter of a century later would find himself in a parking lot in los angeles face to face with two handsome podcasters trying to get him to say a few certain words about a certain <laughs> show in their tape recorder damon Auburn. yeah so so these guys all kind of met came together through different avenues some of them knew some of them and some of them knew other ones and they came together and formed this band called seymour seymour that needed that needed some some work. That needed some work. Their label Food thought so too. So they gave them a whole assortment of other band names to choose from, and these guys chose Blur. Blur, and you know what? Good, good on them. Seymour definitely feels a little bit like this album feels, which I think is like it's it's young people being a little bit too clever for their own good. <laughs> <laughs> right, because it was an allusion to um, one of the uh, more obscure J.D. Salinger short stories, Seymour, an introduction, which is like, that's kind of cool, I guess. But Literary. Damon's a real, he's a real artsy hipster kid. Especially uh, circa 1991. 
Yeah, he was kind of a poser back then. I think um, a lot of people, when they think Blur, they think Britpop. But that's not how Blur started off. Blur started off as a baggy band. Yeah, baggy. Baggy, which was kind of like a derivative of this music genre called Madchester. Madchester, right. And and baggy, I think, was kind of like Madchester plus the Smiths, sort of. Kind of. It was like, you know, like really derivative of like Acid House with like a lot of funky drumming patterns. Uh, and it was called baggy because it was like... um. I grabbed something from Wikipedia I want to read real quick. Uh, Yeah, go for it. The scene was named after the loose-fitting clothing worn by the bands and fans of the genre. Baggy jeans often flared alongside brightly colored or tie-dyed casual tops and general 60s style, frequently topped off with a fishing hat. A fishing hat! Which is exactly what you're thinking it is, that like kind of bucket style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you can put hooks into the little band around it if you need to. The drummer from the Stone Roses popularized that look, I think. But yeah, the overall look was part rave, part retro, part hippie, part football casual. I uh, I want to have a general conversation with you about Blur, not just at this like, not just at this time, but just about the space that they occupy in our in our cultural consciousness and like how we should think about and feel about them in 2018. Sure. I want this to be a two-way conversation as much as possible. I don't want I don't I don't need us to talking point at each other necessarily. Like I'm ready to listen and learn and change, but but where I'm coming from is that I bristle and re- and feel rejective of the notion that Blur belongs in the canon of great rock bands. I think they're secretly the best rock band of the 90s. I'm aware of that. I know I you've asserted that to me before. I understand that nobody has uh, nobody has a monopoly on the truth, and and in our in our own ways we're both right and we're both wrong. I I guess I guess where I come from is that I think Blur has one like unimpeachably like culturally super important album, two more excellent great albums, and then like two that I like and a few that I'm pretty mad about. And the problem, I think the reason why I think the this the space that Blur truly occupies in our in our cultural consciousness is that they're part of a collective. They they're they'll always be one of the players in the Britpop thing. And I don't know that that I'm ready to let them out of that cage. I think that they might belong in the cage with with Oasis and the other boys. But so much about what makes them a great band is that the way they were able to change over the later course of that decade, you know, and embrace American influences and really experiment with their sound, much the same way that Radiohead did. There's a definite parallel to the trajectory. I totally agree with that. In fact, somebody on the Discord today, Trevor, was saying like, oh yeah, Leisure is 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 their Pablo honey. And in a lot of ways, I think that's very true. I think the big difference, though, is that the the band that Radiohead became really does not resemble Pablo Honey. I think that Blur plays it, this is Blur on this record. Like the the weaknesses that sink this album in my opinion are the same weaknesses that this band will be battling with for the entire length of of their existence as a band. I just think that they got better at playing to and around those weaknesses this sounds like blur to me this does sound like blur to me it just doesn't sound like good blur to me maybe this is just from me listening to more blur than you do this doesn't sound like blur to me this sounds like blur kind of having a false start as a Manchester band i mean that's certainly i think damon shares probably that read a lot of this sounds a lot more like the stone roses or even the happy mondays than it does park life or like God forbid, like they're self-titled or 13. Really quickly, when I say the strengths and the weaknesses of Blur, here's what I'm talking about. I think 50% of Blur is is A-plus talent that you cannot find a crack in. Blur, Blur consists of, like I said, in my opinion, one of the best living guitarists and my favorite living songwriter. And then the other half of the band, Dave Roundtree and Alex James... I think they're good, but I think that their talent is narrow. I think that they need a certain kind of song to jump off on, and if they don't, then they're playing root notes and the same fills over and over again, and they sound like the corner bar band. I don't think those boys are are up to snuff with the other two, and I'm ready to have my mind changed. 
I think they definitely grow into being up to snuff with the other two. And I think they have some really strong moments right out of the gate here too as well. Before we get into the track by track, do you want to talk about our three words? Do you have three oh words? Oh my God. Yes, of course. Of course. I, I went alliterative again because I like to. I'll go first. Sure. Uh, I went with boyish. Okay. Basic. All right. And bloated. And I went with psychedelic, hypnotic, and woozy. Woozy. I kind of like mm-hmm. that. A lot of it feels like you're just a little about to be sick, doesn't it? Yeah. I think boyish is is slightly complimentary and a little bit critical, but but the best, some of the most charming stuff on here is the like, oh, this is a twenty two year old. Damon really does sound so young here. So young. And did you go back and watch the videos for any of these? No. Oh my god, he I got it. He's fucking twelve, dude. He looks so young. <laughs> He's a baby. <laughs> yeah, go watch. There's no other way. Like after we're done recording, it'll make you. It'll make, it'll give you a good chuckle. All right, but let's get into the track by track. Starting out with uh, their early single. I think this was their debut song, right? She's so high. Yeah, was it a different version of it that came out as a single initially? I can't remember how that worked. There was a single edit. Okay. Uh, this is too long, in my opinion, and that's going to be a theme on this record for me. I don't mind the length. This is actually maybe my favorite song on the album. It feels really atypical of a lot of the other stuff that's going on here, though. A lot of the other stuff kind of trends more towards like a like a almost generic, baggy Manchester sound. This is almost more kind of like a dream pop song, I think. I think the hook is already showing us a lot of Damon's strength. I think this is a really effective, like, but simple three-note hook. Uh, and and it almost kind of feels like it, it would be re- reworked and kind of vastly improved on with This Is A Low. Uh, like, he's using that same kind of, like, you know, ramp-up, uh, long-sustained note, heavy harmony thing, you know? there's just, Here's the thing about David Alvard on this album, Trevor. He definitely thinks that the coolest possible thing for him to do as a front man is tell you over and over again how much he doesn't care like that the shrug is the coolest possible move that damon albarn knows at this age hey man it was the 90s <laughs> so like here's a here's a here's a soft example of that on this record i'll, I'll point some more out uh, as we go on but like think of her doesn't help me you know like there's a lot of shrugging a lot of shrugging on this record. And, uh, but he also and he also wants to crawl all over her, which is such a great visual way of expressing that sentiment, you know? I really like that a lot. It's kind of creepy. Yeah, I like that too. It's, it's It kind of makes me think of like giantess fetishists, you know? Mm, some, I, 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 I see him as being on a lot of drugs. I, I feel that too. I don't know. I like the kinky read too. Yeah. Uh, I don't love that little backwards guitar solo. That feels... Oh, I think it's cool. I like everything Graham is doing here. That one riff he lays down at the beginning and keeps going through feels really cool. It kind of feels like it's moving in a circle in a way that I really dig. But I think the secret weapon on this track is Damon's keyboards. Oh, the keys are good. The keys are good here. Okay. They're kind of buried in the mix a bit. But there are these like really twinkly little arpeggios that he's laying down in the background. And they really take the track to a new level. I think the best stuff on this song is the one is the stuff that doesn't feel too fussed over, um, and and to me that that some of the, what Graham's doing feels a little bit too fussed over. I don't know. It did make me go back and listen to "She's So High" by Tall Bachman though, which is a fun song. I like this one better. <laughs> I have to say, the first time I picked up this album and saw that, I was like, "Wait, the, wait, that's not a Blur song, is it? That's not the one I'm thinking of." What is the? What do you feel about like the production on this song? Like, it just got that kind of that that early 90s reverb wall to me that feels a little bit cookie cutter i think it's cool it reminds me of like slow dive i yeah it does sound a little bit like slow dive i don't know i don't think it's very dreamy kind of pillowy drifting but also like heavy too alex and dave are not doing much for me on this though this feels like it it kind of grew out of a boring jam to me yeah dave is a lot more restrained here than he will be on other parts of the record and alex is also just kind of along for the ride but i do like the bass line he lays down it's very root notey, but there is a little bit of variation, I guess. Yeah, it's still one of my favorite tracks on the record, though, and I, I would argue that this has a place on like any complete like Blur greatest hits best of compilation. Yeah, it's probably top five for me on this. It's not quite top three for me, but I do, but it, but it, it's probably top five for me. This other one though is like this is a real. I almost feel like this is a guilty pleasure because I know this one doesn't get a lot of love. This also like might be my favorite song on the album, Bang. 
Yeah, not for me. I don't like Damon's voice here at all, especially on the verses. He sounds like he's he's trying to find his style, and he hasn't quite locked into it yet to me. He sounds really young. He definitely does feel undeveloped. But this song like represents this kind of vibe of the album that I get. Like I can't really describe it where... The whole album kind of feels like the soundtrack for like a slice of life anime series or something. Oh, weird. Like it feels like something that would be playing like underneath a voiceover in which we're like introduced to like a quirky lead character or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, I could I could feel that, especially on, on this kind of song. There's other songs on this record that I think are like a little bit too snotty for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one I think would, would work for something like that, you know? It does, it does seem like... The, the the theme music for a quirky but ultimately sensitive leading male character. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't need anyone, but a little love could make things better. Feels like, that feels like the perfect example of a kind of, like, universally digestible and relatable sentiment that allowed so many other, like, 90s alt-rock hits to become mainstays, like uh, Semi-Charm Kind of Life or No Rain by Blind Melon. Yeah, it's definitely in that wheelhouse, in that style. Like, oh, yeah, you know, I relate to that. But, you know, I... As, as kind of mad as I feel about this song, Damon's still writing good hooks. That's a good hook. He wrote a good hook. Yep. That's a very good hook. Clearly, that's a natural talent of that dude's, like, out of the box, you know? The beginning of the song also always makes me think of A Thousand Miles by Vanessa Carlton. Like, Damon sings, sitting in an SDT, waiting for an underground train to rumble underneath my feet. But it always makes me want to hear him sing... Making my way downtown, walking fast. <laughs> but da- Damon's cool here, and the rest of the band really puts in work on this song, I think. Especially Dave. I really love his drums here. I like Graham's riff here fine. I don't love it, but I like Graham's riff here. Um, Graham is cool. Dave is really riding that snare in a way that I'm really into, and Alex is keeping up with a good pace. I think the whole band feels locked in here. I think the highlight of Blur as a band so far, two tracks into their existence, has to be the uh, the vocalization bridge. I think that sounds great. Yeah, those harmonies sounds really good, really good. Very psychedelic too. I like it a lot. Maybe the production is not helping my opinion of Damon's voice on the verses. Like maybe he's, maybe he's a little too forward or something. I don't mind it. I feel like I don't know. I feel like by another band, this could have been a hit in the '90s. Yeah, it does have a good hook. I'm not going to argue with that, but I don't know. I don't know. What do you think about this next one? Slow down. Damon has just not found his voice yet, man. I don't like how he sings just you be you. And also that's a bad lyric. If you, if you come here, all you have to do is just be you. I think that's all I want to say to you. I think that's a dumb lyric. Yeah, I like the last two songs a lot. This one is just a real mess, I think. Like halfway in, it kind of speeds up and the band just launches into this really unrewarding jam. Oh, I hate that. I hate that. Kind of get the impression that they just never really finished writing this one. And yeah. if that was the case, I think it would have been much better just left on the cutting room floor. Like, this isn't a short album. No, it isn't. It really isn't. <laughs> Considering that at this point, like, like Damon's only real natural strength was a, was hook writing. Like, no, no chorus doesn't help here. It doesn't help the song. The band were apparently a really chaotic live act back in these days. And I feel like that part of the song may have, like, landed a little better live. This was like their, this, that was their big Hamburg moment. <laughs> Maybe, but it just doesn't translate to the studio, I guess. Doesn't don't you think Graham's like kind of shoegazing a little too much on the song when he could be doing something smarter or more melodic? Yeah, maybe. It's like I said, it just sounds like a real mess. Yeah. Not for Dylan. Nope, not for Trevor either. Uh repetition though, this is the top three on this record for me. Also a top three for me. I'm glad you like this one. I do like this. I really love that feedback thing that Graham's doing. Whatever he's doing there, I'm all about it. Um, yeah, he's like manipulating his guitar tone so that it almost sounds like an alarm going off. That's really cool. Dave is making some really interesting choices with his like uh, percussion noises, too. Oh, yeah. He found a pattern that I think really elevates him here. Um, and, and Damon's on like using his megaphone or like an early version of his megaphone effect, which is fun to hear. 
Yeah, is this a proto gorilla song on the very first Damon Auburn release? Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. This feels very blurry to me. This feels pretty blurry. Very cool. It's got such an oppressive weight to it. Like, it's really slow. And the only word I can think to describe its pacing is, like, inevitable. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. It just really moves along in an unstoppable way. And it's not the it's not like the craziest bust-out hook on this record, but the hook's totally serviceable. The hook's very strong, I think, yeah. And it's probably the second or third biggest climax on the album after She's So High in the closing track. Well, especially because, like, Graham goes, like, totally full fuzz bomb on the chorus, and it, and it feels like he kind of earns it, too, you know? This is definitely one of the more earned moments on the record, I agree. It even sounds like Damon might be trying out this whole let me lay my accent on a little thicker during the chorus, which is very blurry. That's a very blur Damon move like when he's singing like all things remain the same it sounds like he's twanging his accent slightly yeah very British which he would play up a lot more in the next three albums too yeah definitely this almost sounds like an early cut from modern life is rubbish notwithstanding all of this praise I still don't think this song needs to be five and a half minutes long (laughs) no no, probably could have been somewhere around four minute mark. It probably would have worked fine. Uh, but there is a really, yeah. this is a charming Damon Shrug on this track. Uh, all things remain the same, so why try again? Yeah. <laughs> That's some 22-year-old shit, man. Uh, bad Day. You want to talk about Bad Day? Sure. Is that a melodica? That's what I wrote. Melodica intro? He's not playing it like Damon, though. He's playing it like, I just bought this weird thing. And then, like, the rest of the band was like, should we tell him not to play this? Or Yeah, because it doesn't sound great, and it doesn't really go with the rest of the song that well, I don't think. I don't think so, either. I do think that the first lyric is really good, though. What is it again? Uh... Do you do anything you ever do? No, she said. Do you want anything you ever want? No, she said. Right. That's a good lyric. It's very, very like 60s Sid Barrett psychedelic, I think. Roundtree is carrying over some of that momentum from that last song on this one, too. I think he sounds good on this. The drums sound really good here, and it also kind of sounds like, in a way, the most blatant Stone Roses ripoff, I think. This song doesn't, like, really bother me or anything although i wish that the chorus distinguished itself from the verse melody a little bit more i feel like this one just kind of hovers around serviceable it's not one of my favorite songs in the album there's nothing really offensively bad going on even though the melodica doesn't sound great melodica comes back also during that little interlude jam and then after that there's like another 90 seconds of the song where they just like do the chorus one more time and then a little bit more jamming it's like these are these there's a lot of these arrangements are very fatty. They're very fatty. You know, they're just grooving out, you know? This was the 90s. It was before the bubble burst. Maybe maybe we'll find, as we get deeper into their catalog, that Blur becomes a worthy band to sit, listen to an instrumental jam on. I just don't think that they were there yet. Do you think they're a worthy band yet to be listening to them, like, pound on pianos and cymbals and stuff for six minutes straight while Damon moans like a zombie on Sing? <laughs> No. But at the same time, top three. Really? (laughs) This breaks a lot of my basic rules about Blur, which are that they should stick to unsubtle pop music. But I like this a lot more than most of these songs. I think it's impressionistic. It's a little bit Baroque. And it's even maybe a little bit epic. Like... They've been toying around with this kind of shoegaze aesthetic, especially glam, and they kind of, they they really go all in here, and it, it works for me. Like, Graham's doing some really interesting textural stuff here. It almost feels like the 1999 version of Graham Coxon came back in time and did this one song. Uh, I really like the the structure of the hook where, like, they do the ah, and then they do the line. So it feels like a lead-in, but then it also later feels like it's connected to the hook. I like that. I also think this bass solo is, like, the best Alex James moment on this record. Uh, I understand that it's a it's an arty wank-off, but I like this a lot more than most of this album. It is a real arty wank-off. I put together a list of songs I will be really blown away if Dylan likes. <laughs> and I really wasn't sure if this one was going to go on there. 
and at the end I didn't I didn't put it on there because like I felt like this would be the one where we might come down on opposite sides because I've never been a big fan of this one. I like this one. It's I know it's like Blur's first big artsy like textural like you know subtle moment, but I Which don't know. Which is not just... usually the Blur that I like. I like Big right. Hook Blur. I, I know, and I like Big Hook Blur too. But I also like you know I like artsier Blur. But here it just feels a little undeveloped and a little pretentious. And I don't know. It, it's effective. I do think it's effective. It's used really well in uh, Danny Boyle's Train Spotting. It is used really well in Train Spotting. Used You're right. Really well in Train Spotting. Right. A movie which also features an original piece of Damien music, which we'll talk about at some point, I assume. They sound like a more interesting band to me on this than they do on most of this record. I know that this is like. This is an exception to all of my Blur rules, though. This is very weird that I feel this way about this song. Did this, but, did this yeah. song get taken off for the U.S. issue of it this did. album? It got, did. It got replaced with that terrible single, I know, which sounds like a fucking jam band, like, dance party song that I fucking hate. I know it's not that bad. I hate that song, it's dude. A, I'm so a, glad it's not on this record. It's okay. It's, it's a fine B-side. It's, it's fine. It sounds like a fucking hippie dance. I hate it. It's not it. that bad. Um... Let's talk about There's No Other Way, like the actual most successful song on this album, commercially speaking. Yeah, this was the big single. Uh, top three. I think it's great. <laughs> this almost makes it in my top three. I just feel like it's kind of like, it's kind of bang, but it doesn't have, I don't like the hook as much. Yeah, oh, I, I almost thought for a second that Graham was playing the same riff from Bang, so I had to go back and re-listen to it the first time through. Just to make sure. Yeah, and the drums are kind of similar too, but also just not as good. Like, he's not riding the snare in the same way. I don't know. This is it's cool, but the hook's never really... I think it's good. I think the hook's good. I think Damon's vo- vocals are actually really good. I-, I like how he's doing, like, a whispery thing on the verses, and then he's, like, doing his more Brit-poppy, diaphragmic, you know, shout on the choruses. Uh, and And... It's a no-brainer why they push this as a single. I think. I think it's. The, I think it's kind of the most polished version of the song that Damon seems to be writing and rewriting over and over on this record. This is kind of the definitive baggy Manchester cut from this one. Yeah. I honestly would probably grab "Sing" from this record for my Blur playlist before I grab "There's No Other Way," just because I think there's like there's better versions of this kind of song later in the Blur catalog. And I would go with "She's So High." Anyway, uh, now we're in the back half of this album, and I got to tell you, Trevor, it's not looking good from here on. Yeah, it gets a little rough. It gets a little, <laughs> little rough. A little rough. So, uh, Fool. Look. Uh, Nirvana became a breakout success story because they did a funny impression of the Pixies. So maybe Damon thought he could become famous if he did a silly impression of the Smiths, because that's what he's doing on this. <laughs> Ooh. You know, I hadn't thought of that, but I can hear it. This song is the reason why Morrissey wouldn't be on Humans. <laughs> I think this is the worst example of a Damon shrug on the album, by the way, where he says... Uh, Sorry, but I'm not really listening. I've got my mind on something else. It's like, oh, great. I'm glad I'm listening to your stupid album that you're too fucking bored to show up and pay attention to. So, so, something, that, um, so something that I did while listening to this album was I tried to think about like, uh, what these songs would sound like if they were reworked in the fashion of the last Damon Albarn work we listen to, Everyday Robots. Oh, yeah, if they were all, and like, moody. I couldn't tell whether this would be the best or the worst one. Right, it might actually be improved greatly. Like, or it could be, like, a total disaster, like, on unfathomable levels. And again, by the way, just like on, on Slowdown, uh, they do that stupid, like, let's do a big speed-up jam at one part. Yeah. They do, like, an interlude where they do it. They do It feels so fussed over. It feels like... So overthought. And David Alex are just doing nothing on this song. Like, they could have been a garage band loop. Like, Dave finds one totally basic groove. Alex, I think, plays root notes almost the whole song. Yeah, there's not a lot to defend here. I can't say that. Worst hook on the album? I think it might be the worst song on the album, actually. This definitely was one of the first ones I listed on these songs. I will be really blown away if Dylan likes. Yeah. This one was uh, also on there, Come Together. This is a good jumping off point for me to talk about what it means to think about Blur and think about Britpop in 2018. Um, 
you know, socially we're we're living in a changing world. Uh, sexual politics are really changing too, and I think that toxic lad culture, which is a lot like American frat boy culture, is an indelible part of Britpop. Like, for all of the spirituality, progressivism, pansexualism, like forward thinking stuff about Britpop, there's also a lot of bullying and and you know, boys will be boys bullshit uh, that I can't di- that I can't divorce from my mind when I think about uh, Britpop. I think about especially remember that Nardwar interview? Yes, of course, where they steal his hat. Perfect example. That's the that's toxic lad culture, and I think that this this song lyrically. This is a 22-year-old man who feels entitled to have a relationship with somebody who's not interested in him because he can only see his own feelings as important and as relevant. He's confused by female emotions and dismissing them as insane. I don't understand. You must be mad. He says, uh, 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 you should have known I'd do anything for you, so why can't we come together? Uh, And then there's a lot of self-victimizing going on. Inside my head, there's nothing left. It's all been taken out by you. This is just, this is what, this is how a lot of 22-year-old dudes think. And I know that Damon is a more, he's a much more woke dude now. But when I listen to this song, I hear like, ugh, ugh, that's how I hear it. I don't get a lot of that sentiment. I think you can read that into the lyrics. This wouldn't be the first, one of the first songs I like reached for when I wanted to give an example of like toxic masculinity or anything like that in music. To me, it's, it's an important part of it. The kind of, the kind of like, I'm the victim, this lady's crazy. I don't know. It's, it's also not, it's not like, it's not, it's not strictly romantic either. I, I guess there's enough, there's enough in the margins that you could probably read it another way. Yeah. I've, I've never seen this as like a relationship song, actually. As for the music, I mean, this, this feels like that song that Damon keeps writing and rewriting. Yeah, I mean, I don't like the song. I, it's got... The, there's, like, one too many... The, like, the, the chorus harmony sounds fine, but they also sound a lot like five other songs on this album. Um, yeah. For what it's worth, Alex is playing a bass line here, so good on him. Graham is kind of racing around the song, but not really doing anything in particular worth talking about. Yeah, he's playing some wand, there's some overdrive, and he's droning on some chords. It's, it's very backgroundy. Um, I think I wrote down that, yeah, I wrote down that Graham's guitar work is like, it's the equivalent of the lighting on Star Trek The Next Generation. It's very, it's very flat and even. <laughs> yeah, and they almost go in, they almost kind of, the end of this song is almost a jam, but it also just doesn't make that much of an impact. I wonder, are these boys bullies? I mean, surely not as much as Oasis were, right? They were definitely the true the true harbingers of toxic lad culture. Were. Or is it like, or is it like that one thirty rock episode where it's like all remembered backwards, and like the people that were always getting picked on were really being like hella passive aggressive, and the bullies were just trying to reach out and be nice. Oh yeah, maybe. Like you think it's like the jocks that were jerks, but really it's the kids who were smart enough to actually be very mean. Yeah, it could be that. It could be that too. <laughs> okay, you want to talk about High Cool? Sure, because you know what? I actually really enjoy this one. I think Alex has a nifty little bass line. It's a little bit wanky, but I mean, wanky is better than doing nothing. I like the whole way this track kind of struts along, you know? I know we just said a lot of stuff about lad culture, but this song feels laddish in a good way to me. It almost feels like it casts blur as like a group of lusty young men from a Shakespeare production or something. Oh, I think the difference here is that the the, the protagonist of this song is leaning into the fact that he's being an asshole. Right. He doesn't see himself as the victim the way that the protagonist of the last song did. Like, this is more, this is winky and knowing assholery, in my opinion. And it's funny. I think it's, I think it's charming. It's a lot of fun. This is a nice, it's a nice lighter moment on this kind of back half. That's a bit of a slog. I think maybe the hook needed another draft. (laughs) There's, there's like one too many layers of harmony uh, on it and maybe five too few lyrics in it. The harmonies do feel a bit fillery after a while. They do. Um, but on the strength of that bass line and the, and the kind of willful assholery of it I, think it, I think it's pretty charming. I do like it. This feels like getting together with the boys to hang out after high school. This also, this also feels, 
a, like a primordial version of, but, al- but also it feels pretty blurry to me. Feel that? What about this next one, though? Birthday. It's my birthday. Tweva. Tweva. They forgot my birthday, Tweva. They forgot my birthday. <laughs> it's my birthday, but nobody's here. This is the weirdest Damon Albarn performance on record, I think. It feels so earnest, though. It's so earnest. I know. And like... What are the lyrics? Let me look up the lyrics. Just read them. There's not that many. Just read them. No, I'm going to. It's my birthday. No one here day. Very strange day. I think of you day. Go outside day. Sit in park day. Watch the sky day. What a pathetic day. I don't like this day. It makes me feel too small. <laughs> Do you remember when you were 22 and you didn't have real problems yet? I still don't really like my birthday that much. Nobody called me. <laughs> it's, you know what? There's a charm to it, though. It's, I think there's a charm to it. I don't think it's intentionally charming, but there is a charm to this. Like... And I gotta say, I really like when Graham comes in at the end. I think that's a cool moment. Hell yeah! Graham gives it a shot with the textures, and then he he explodes, and it's really effective. And he has he has good tone. We will we'll talk about this like in a few months when we finally get to like uh, thirteen. Nobody in rock music knows their way around a drop better than Graham Coxon. He's amazing at it, and eventually he's amazing at it. He's virtuistic at drops. I think Dave becomes so locked into it too eventually. He's not yet. I think Dave actually is really terrible on this drop. Like, hang on, let me hang on. I gotta, I gotta listen to it now. Yeah, kind of, kind of sounds like his kit just fell over. Maybe the worst Dave Roundtree moment on the record. Here's how I described it in my notes. Dave, uh, Dave's choices here suck. Did Dave Roundtree take five weeks of lessons at a guitar center from a chubby 50-year-old in a fleece vest with a man bun and then go straight to tracking this song? Well, you've got, to, you've got better days ahead of you. But actually, this, this did highlight to me how much growth there is in that guy because there's going to be moments like this on future Blur songs where like, the, the chemistry between what Graham does and what Dave does is, is amazing and unusual for a relationship between a lead guitarist and a drummer. I'm looking forward to getting there. Me too. But first, we've got to finish Leisure off. So let's talk about the closer, Wear Me Down. There's a good shrug here. Why do you bore me? That's a good Damon shrug. I actually think that this is a really effective closer, though. If for nothing else, it has a really nice stretch where Dave and Graham get to kind of go nuts at the end, like one more time. Like they really bring the house down. I don't know if it feels closer y to me, but it definitely feels like an uptick in quality on the back half of this record to me. I think it's a great closer. Like a song called Wear Me Down feels like the perfect endpoint for this album that's been about like really repetitive rhythms and like hard grooves and stuff like that. The sentiment the sentiment of it is is the right amount of catharsis. I just don't know if it I actually get any of the the release or the punctuation from it. Listen to that bridge where Graham and Dave really just get their moment to shine. I think it really works well as like a final closing moment. I do think it's the, it's the first really good Damon hook in a minute. Um, it has a good restrained harmony and, and a really clean, clear melody. And it even has some pretty good build, although it's a little bit stop and start. Like I think in, in two years, Damon Albarn would write this hook a little bit better, but, but uh, it feels like more like the first half of the album in terms of like, you know, Damon pulling out all the stops to, to give you something really memorable. Um, Dave is kind of playing the same fill over and over again in this song, which is a little bit unfortunate, I think. Well, it's the last song on the album. He probably just ran out. <laughs> it's a muted victory, but I, I do like this closer a lot more than most of what happens in the latter half of this album to me. And it works well as a cap for the entire experience, I think. And a cap for, for this album, Leisure, which I which I think is rough, man. I do think, I do agree with you. It's a better album than Pablo Honey. Let the record show. Much better album than Pablo <laughs> Honey. We've, uh, we've, we've put le- Leisure, Leisure, whatever. We put it through the ringer a little bit, but let's, let's hear from the man himself, Damon Albarn, who, who has some choice words. Uh, and maybe we'll even set us up for a few steps down the road in our blur journey, uh, Trevor. 
Right, because he thinks this one is terrible. He says, I've made hundreds of mistakes. I've only made two bad records. The first record, which is awful, and The Great Escape, which is messy. I can see where he's coming from. I disagree. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see, <laughs> we'll see we'll in see. future seasons. <laughs> we'll see in later this year, right? We'll get to it this year. Oh, season. yeah. I think we will. Yeah. Yeah. Every six weeks, we'll be coming back to these guys. Man, this was great. This feels like we're back and we're we're new. Don't you think? Yeah. It's season six. Season six, man. Next week, we're going to be talking about Mia Hoitori's, uh the classic record she did with her band, Chiba Matto, Viva La Woman. That's going to be a lot of fun. I'm so excited. That's going to be so nostalgic for me because it's been ages since I've listened that to that That takes record. off our phase one collaborator. And after that, we're going to be looking at uh, De La Soul for phase two and so on into the season. Oh, my God. I cannot wait. I can't wait to put this scary 2D doll in my child's crib. I can't wait uh, to, to march forward on this journey with you, Trevor. And uh, I can't wait to get many more exciting discussion questions from you, the listener. Be sure to leave us a message at 585-666-1233. And uh, check us out on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Amino and Tumblr. And send us an email to howlyoumonkeys at gmail.com. And join our Discord at discord.me slash monkeys with a Z. We had to end our YouTube page. That's no longer a thing. But you can always find us at soundcloud.com slash howlyoumonkeys. Uh, also, uh, that's it, right? We don't have Vlog S songs anymore. That was the that was the past. No, yeah, that was a special little one season engagement. I think burned down the past, but definitely still go look up uh, Log S's shit and give it likes and views. Yeah, on his YouTube channel, um, Apocalypse Alfred. Yeah, man, do it. Uh, that's it. I don't got anything else. That's all the things, Trevor. What a nice little breezy episode. Maybe. Maybe even a bit of a leisurely one, you would say? Oh, perhaps, perhaps. I like what you're saying there. Yeah, yeah. Leisurely <laughs> stroll through the first Blur album. So yeah, join us next week when we'll be talking about Chibo Matto. Until then, I've been Trevor Ickrath. I've been Dylan Flynn. Don't get lost in heaven. Demo! Demo!